Welcome to Boundless Love Podcast. Here it's all about next level approach to love, relationships, and sex. I'm your host, Sofia Sundari. Hey, welcome beautiful listeners to this episode. I am so excited that this is my first episode that involves a guest and a really, really special guest. I'm so excited to introduce you to this incredible woman who has had such an important impact on my life and on lives of many people because she is a somatic therapist and a workshop facilitator who specializes in healing the effects of trauma so people can live healthier, more authentic and passion-filled lives. So welcome, Prema McKeever. I'm so, so, so happy to, to have you here. You're my first guest and I've been mind blown by our work together and I've been talking about you to so many people, but uh, alone and there are so many people who would love to be touched um, by your wisdom and your skills and your, your incredible knowledge. I feel this is a really great presentation to who you are, and I'm so happy to share you with my community as well. Thank you, Sophia. It's a huge honor to be here. I'm so excited to be here with you, and I'm really looking forward to our chance to talk about all these really important things. So thank you. Mm, yes. So I would love to start by uh, inviting you just to share your story with us, like what brought you to this work and how also you felt that uh, your work has changed your relationships and anything else you feel to share? So I'm almost 50. So there's been quite a few relationships in my life. And there was a general pattern of my relationships that they were very short. <laughs> they tended not to last very long. Um, there was ways that I just couldn't quite connect the way I wanted to in my intimate relationships. Um, there was emotional baggage there. There was past trauma that was there that was affecting me. Um, there was an inability to, to communicate. There was, I mean, not completely inability, but there was all these challenges that I didn't have the tools or the skills or the knowledge to navigate. And so, I mean, it, it led to, I, I've been divorced twice, um, and it led to a series of, of quite unhappy endings to different relationships in my life. And a lot of that just came out of my own unresolved trauma. And it was many years ago that I started to learn about trauma. Um, I was an acupuncturist and herbalist at that time. And a lot of my clients were suffering from trauma. It showed up in their body and their chronic health conditions um, and different types of autoimmune disorders, chronic pain, all sorts of different ways. And, and so I really went into this in-depth study of what is trauma? Why is it impacting us? Why do things that happened to us 30, 40, 50 years ago still affect us today? And so it was out of this search, both for my clients and for myself, that I began an extensive period of getting trained in trauma. And in that process, um, did a lot of my own self-healing and learned many different ways of being able to work with others to help them get to where they want to be in life. And how do you feel like your relationships have changed since you went so deep into that work? Well, one, um, I used to have this pattern, and probably a lot of people can relate to it, is I would freeze when, when there was conflict because of things from my own childhood. When there was anger or conflict or differences in the relationship, 
I would often freeze. Um, and I also didn't stand up for what I wanted. I couldn't use my voice. I couldn't really speak what was my truth. And so there was a lot of trying to make the other person happy, or I would lose myself in relationships. I had no sense of really of who I was. And I was often trying to find myself through the relationship I was in. Um, I had a pattern of uh, dating people who were quite older than me. I think I was looking for uh, a, oftentimes a teacher or a guide in, in the form of a relationship. And um, through doing my own healing work, that pattern is now gone. I don't look, what I used to look for in a partner, I could not be less interested in <laughs> these days. But I look for now, and, and I have been happily married now for many years, thank goodness, um, is intimacy. It's connection, it's honesty, it's talking, it's sharing, it's being able to handle conflicts and differences in a way that we both come out of it feeling like our integrity is intact. We're both speaking our truth. And there's a real heartfeltness. There isn't this sense of somebody wins, somebody loses, somebody has to give, somebody else gets. There's this mutual building and sharing of a life together. And to me, I mean, I would sure you would say the same thing. That's what relationships are about. That's what relationships are about. But as I think we'll get into more in our conversation relationships are really, there's such this intense part of our lives that can bring out the absolute best in us, but unfortunately also bring out the absolute worst in us often. And when we have unresolved patterns, belief systems, um, emotional processes from our childhood, they come into our adult relationships. And without us even realizing it, that's often what's running us. That's who's actually in the relationship. Our five-year-old is in our relationship. Our inner five-year-old is in our relationship and impacts how we connect and how much we're able to connect. Mm, mm. So beautiful. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing this. Um, I totally can relate to this uh, freeze response. And um, it's so interesting that and that's what, where I would like us to go maybe now to even identify that there is trauma. Like I feel like so many people, and it was me for many years, even though I was doing so much uh, spiritual work, so much personal development work, so much deep transformational work. Um, but I did not realize that I actually had a trauma and I felt that just some of my behaviors and some of my patterns, I was like, okay, that's just how I am. And then only once I started to really, once I recognized that I had a trauma that happened to me in childhood. And I remember when I first started working with you, you sent me this questionnaire with all sorts of different questions that kind of helps us help us understand where are my like weak spots or where are my traumatic experiences or distortions. And I was so shocked when I was filling it up because from feeling that I had the sense that I had every possible trauma like oh. it's like what from feeling that trauma is completely from a different world not about me but then uh, as we like first just that awareness that oh my god okay so that response that I have uh, when I'm getting overwhelmed by someone's emotions that actually it's, it's a trauma response or when I freeze on the inside it's a trauma response so I would love to explore that with you. How can even people recognize that they have a trauma or that their partner has a trauma? Because it's so easy to take it personally. 
Yeah. Trauma is a big word. I mean, everybody's talking about trauma these days. And and oftentimes we come up with the idea that trauma would be something like obviously physical abuse, sexual abuse, some sort of injury, being in a war, uh, fleeing oppression, being a refugee. Um, those are what we think of usually as trauma. Now, there's another type of trauma called developmental trauma. So there's shock trauma, which is like these big events that are overwhelming to our nervous system. Um, that's where we get the fight, flight, freeze response coming in. Um, and that can absolutely happen to us as children as well, which would then also lead to developmental trauma. But that's kind of where most of our thinking of what is trauma and the idea is, okay, if I wasn't abused, then I don't have trauma. So there's this whole other category of trauma that we can call developmental trauma or, or attachment injuries. And this is where we grew up in families where not even through any fault of our parents, but our needs as children were not met in many different ways. This shapes us. Our early environment shapes us. So if we grow up in a family, for instance, where let's say the only person who was allowed to have anger in the family was dad or mom. And when that person got angry, everyone else in the family had to submit and do exactly what they wanted them to do or we knew it was going to get worse. And there is a certain fear energy that then happens in a child, of course. And we learn patterns of behaviors from that. We, Like I said, we get shaped from our early environment. And so if we have environments growing up where our parents, let's say, are using a lot of substances, they're not connecting with us, but instead there's a lot of perhaps drugs or alcohol in the house, that leads to a feeling of being unsafe. If we're in an environment where our parents, one or both of them, don't have a lot of their own emotional regulation skills, let's say they have a lot of issues with anger, rage, they can be very um, explosive, that can be a form of trauma to the child. If we grow up in a household where, let's say, a parent sometimes is really wonderful and loving and they're there, but then other times they're completely gone. We can't rely on them. They seem to be there, then without warning or understanding, then they're gone and then they're back and then they're gone and it's very unpredictable. That's a type of trauma to the child. So there's so many different ways where as children, we experience our immediate world, our immediate surrounding as not being a safe, secure, dependable environment where we don't feel seen, where our emotions are not recognized, welcomed, and, and, and met. You know, if we grew up in a family where every time we're, we are angry, we are punished. Let's say we're sent to our room, we're isolated, where we get the message, no, you and your anger, when you are angry, you are bad, and therefore you must go away. That's very shaming to a child. And so we, we develop um, blocks around our anger, which is really an energy that we need to have healthy boundaries, to be able to speak our truth, to be able to say no, or to say what it is that we really need or what we really want. So there's thousands and thousands of little interactions that we have as children in our home environment that shape so many parts of our personality structure. And then that's what we take into relationships. And so no, as children, trauma doesn't have to be one of those big events, sexual abuse, physical abuse, the death of a parent. Um, it can be all these smaller events 
that signal to the child that somehow they are not safe, heard, seen, or lovingly supported. And then the child has to shape themselves to try and fit that environment. Children, we don't have the option as children to say, okay, this isn't a healthy relationship for me. I'm going to go somewhere else. That's not, we have that choice as adults. We don't have that choice as children. So instead as children, we have to attach. We have to make the best of what we can in our family situation. And we learn that by inhibiting parts of ourselves, by cutting off parts of ourselves, and by denying parts of ourselves. And that's part of the trauma response. And then as adults, our work is to go back in and and find and connect to and heal and reclaim those parts of us that we had to lock into a closet when we were children. It was the only way to really find any acceptance or love or support in the family system. It wasn't a choice any of us made now the only choice that comes in, okay, do we want to do the work to heal that? That's where the choice is now. Mm, so beautiful, yeah. And that's what's really interesting also to recognize those signs of trauma. Yeah. Um, because we may be just not able to recognize it when someone just all of a sudden, uh, like they they get upset with you for crossing a boundary they never set, for example. Yeah, that could be a symptom of trauma. Right. Or what you just said, denying parts of us, it's like kind of disconnecting from some part of you. Uh, and in interaction, you know, in relating with such person, it may be very confusing, like, oh, wow, but they don't see this part of them, like, but it's there, like, I can see it so clearly, how can you not see it? So what mm-hmm. I see quite often in couples is this, that one of the partners really denies uh, something and what I, I also learned is that denial is actually a symptom of trauma. Mm-hmm. What, what else? What other signs can we see and understand as signs of trauma? Well, I think what's helpful, helpful way to look at it is what patterns do we ha- see showing up repeatedly in our life that don't seem to really be serving us that well. Do we have certain types of similar arguments? Do we have certain types of repeating relationships like do we tend to get involved with the same type of person over and over and over and it doesn't work for me for instance I was really drawn to men who were more on the narcissistic side not narcissistic personality disorder I'm not saying that but men who were not emotionally available men who were not really there to have a connected um, shared relationship and part of that was a reenactment of my own abandonment wounds, my own abandonment wounds from my father leaving my family system when I was younger. And we still had connect- time with him, but not nearly as much as I wanted. I always felt like I needed somehow to win my father's approval. I somehow had to get his love. And then I just translated that onto men who were not available. That's a trauma response. So, so many different ways it can show up for us. And the important thing is to look at what are some of the things I keep doing over and over? What do I say when I get out of one relationship? Oh, I'm never going to do that again. But then I do it again. And that's where I think I love it when you said what you can't see that I can see it. I think one really good thing is to go to your close friends and say, is there certain things that you see me doing over and over that I may not see? Because others can so often spot it. 
Um, but we, out of because it's this adaptive way we've learned to do relationships, we don't see it. It's just the way relationships are. Well, of course, I'm not just drawn to men who are more narcissistic. They just happen to all be that way. That's just a coincidence. And, and so part of it, and we can, I can totally laugh about it now. Um, believe me, I used to not be able to laugh about that. It was just, just a coincidence. Um, so we have to get curious. And that's where, you know, obviously working with a therapist or doing group workshops can be really helpful because then you start to see what are other people doing and they start to see what am I doing and it creates this whole um, really beautiful space to be able to start looking at ourselves without judgment and to be met with compassion and looking at ourselves and seeing what is it that I do? Do I tend to um, get angry about certain things over and over? Do I tend to lash out or do I tend to withdraw? Am I the type of person in relationships when there's conflict, I disappear? Is am I the type of person in relationships when there's conflict, I actually then go to somebody else? Maybe I have another relationship that I then tend to go to to, and, you know, try to let my energy be met by a third person instead of dealing directly with what's happening in my relationship. There's so many different ways that this can show up. But a good question to ask is, what tends to keep happening over and over that maybe doesn't really serve me or my goal for more intimacy and connection. Oh, this is so interesting. Well, I would like to go into this, like feeling this abandonment wound, which sometimes mm. we don't recognize as that, because we, I think we all have on some level that experience of being abandoned. And what's so fascinating is that we tend to like look at our childhood from our adult self. And then you look back and you're like, well, it's not such a big deal that I was alone for 20 minutes. But for the child, like I know I had this experience when my parents left me for 20 minutes. I was yelling at the top of my lungs for the whole 20 minutes. I thought it was 50 hours I was there yelling. So for me, it was a very traumatic experience. But now looking back, I'm like, OK, 20 minutes by myself doesn't sound like a big deal. But then the, how the child perceives it is a completely different thing. And so, like, sometimes we have this awareness that there was an abandonment, but sometimes there is even a layer on top of it that we just keep attracting people who help us re-experience that abandonment, right? Uh, like, we keep attracting those unavailable, emotionally unavailable people. So, can you speak a bit more to that? Because I feel like so many women, especially men also sometimes, but especially I hear it so much from women that they're like, wow, I just keep like attracting those emotional unavailable men. Like, are there any good men out there? Or everybody is going to be having those narcissistic tendencies and just not be there for me when I need them most. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think um, I'm going to back up just a little bit because we were saying about being left alone as a child. So much, so much what's important as to whether it ends up being a trauma or not, is there a good repair made? When the parents come back, do they talk to the child? Do they repair? Do they apologize? Do they comfort the child? Or do they just kind of ignore the child's distress and move on like nothing's happened? And then the child learns to ignore their own distress and to move on like nothing's happened. The child has to shut down their feelings because otherwise um, it's just going to hurt more and more and more. Mm, um, so important. It is so important that, and I think also that skill of repair is something that's very challenging in our adult relationships. Mm. When there's a conflict, when there's some sort of issue, 
when we do something that maybe wasn't the greatest thing to do to our partner, it doesn't have to be a big thing, it can be even small things. Are we able to say, honey, I'm sorry. You know, I, I, I think I might've stepped on your feelings there and I really didn't mean to. Most uh, there's been a couple of really important studies looking at what's what supports the longevity of relationships, and one of them shows that couples who are able to make repair have I think it's like an 80, 70 to eighty percent greater chance of lasting. That's like one of the number one skills to develop in a partnership is the ability to make repair, to acknowledge the feelings and needs of the other to apologize and to discuss any um, you know, disruptions that were there and then to accept the person. And if you're the person who was hurt, to accept your partner's apology, to be able to accept their apology and then move on together. That is like one of the top relationship skills that mm-hmm. we need to be able to have as adults is the ability to make repair. And as children, we often don't learn it. Parents are just like, stop crying, go, you know, whatever, because our parents were stressed out or whatever it was. It wasn't, apology is often not modeled in family. So it can be really difficult <laughs> to learn how to apologize as adults. We feel like, oh no, if I apologize, I'm, I'm, I'm going to feel like I did something wrong or I'm guilty or I'm ashamed or can't we just get over it or just move on or why do you have to be so needy or so sensitive? Those sort of things. Those are all echoes from our childhood um, relationships that we had, our, 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 in our early environment. Mm-hmm. But moving on, you were asking about abandonment. Um, tell me a little bit more, like what would you like because abandonment is such a big topic. And yes, there's this feeling often, maybe we should talk about attachment theory for a moment. Well, should we do that? Because that yeah. will help us understand this. That's super interesting. Yeah, let's dive Okay. I don't want to sound too academic, but basically there are, and many people know about this now, and there's several good books about it. A really good one is called Attached by... Um, Amir Levine and, and the Heller, Rachel Heller, I think. But as children, we develop certain styles of attaching to our parents based on our parents' parenting style. So there's either secure attachment, which means our parents were consistent, they were present, they were safe, there was space for us to go out and explore the world and also know that when we want to come back to them, we can, you know, the child can be on the lap enjoying all the hugs and kisses and then they want to go run around and then they go run around and then when they're ready, they come back to the lap and the lap is available and there's hugs and kisses. So there's a stable, consistent, secure, warm, present, the child feels seen, the child feels appreciated and listened to, that's secure attachment. And it doesn't mean that the parent is able to provide that 100% of the time. That would be nearly impossible. Most studies show that if the parents provided about 60% of the time, 60 to 70% of the time, it's good. The child grows up securely attached and forms a secure attachment style as an adult. Now, if we didn't have that, we tend to fall into one of three other categories. One is if we grew up in a home where our parents were inconsistent. Sometimes they were really there and loving and poured their energy into us, and then they were gone. There was a sense of they're there, but they're not there. And and the child didn't know how to, there was no way to predict or make sense of it. It was just this sense of mommy or daddy or both can be here, but then they can just be gone. And then the child's left alone. And so there's a lot of anxiety 
that happens in the child because of that. There isn't the secure, consistent, ongoing, present safety. And so children who grew up more in those homes where there was this really unstable, inconsistent bond, those children tend to form what's called anxious or ambivalent attachment as adults. And they can often be people who can come across in relationships as kind of needy or wanting a lot of attention or not really trusting their partner. Like they always think their partner is going to cheat on them or leave them or, or, you know, they need their partner to prove to them a lot that they love them because they can't really believe or, or really trust deep in their core that their partner is there for them and will stay because there's a sense somewhere inside. Oh no, I can't trust that this person is really going to stay here with me because that comes from that's their early childhood experience. And then kind of on the opposite end of that are children who grew up in homes where parents were more emotionally distant. Maybe there wasn't a lot of hugs and kisses and I love yous. Parents might've been absent a bit. They might've been pretty strict emotions weren't really even present so much it was more parents were more like functional like get your homework done and let's have dinner on the table and make sure you clean your room it was it was more about getting daily life done than it was about emotional connection and those children learned how to inhibit their emotions as a protective mechanism they learned that you know, going to somebody else when there's stress or when there's trouble, why bother? That person's not really there. Or if they're there, they're not going to be really helpful. You know, maybe they'll just tell me to, you know, go go outside and go for a run or something, you know, whatever it may be. So those children tend to form what's called more of an avoidant attachment as adults. So what happens a lot in relationships, well, let me just quickly, the fourth pattern is, is when children who grow up in homes where there's actual trauma, where there's actual physical, sexual violence, there isn't anybody there to go to safety enough. The child grows up in a very unsafe environment, and then that develops what we call disorganized attachment. That child, as they grow up into adults, tends to have a higher challenges um, and relationships are very challenging because you never it's really hard to land in any sense of being safe with this other person or trusting relationships or trusting that I'm safe that's the fourth category so when we talk about abandonment a lot of times what that can show up like is someone with more of that ambivalent attachment style feeling like they can't really trust that the other person is going to stay there with them or and they tend to oftentimes go and get into relationships with people who are more avoidant so it's like this this dance between the anxious and the avoidant kind of like a bad tango <laughs> where in the beginning it can be great because in the beginning of relationships usually people who are more avoidantly attached it's fun in the beginning and there's this great energy and synergy and sex and everything feels really good. And at the beginning, the avoidant and the attachment, there isn't a lot of threat because neither one of them is feeling like that too much of them is being asked of. But then as the relationship progresses, oftentimes the anxious person wants more intimacy, wants more connection, wants some commitment, um, wants more stability. And that's where the avoidant person starts to feel like, oh, I'm getting a little um, claustrophobic here. This is getting a little bit too much or it's too intense or it's too fast. And it's not on so much a conscious level. These, were the, these are the patterns that we learned as children 
for how to do relationships. And so that just gets carried into our adult relationships. And so the avoidant after a while starts to oftentimes pull away, which makes the anxious person pursue them more, which makes the avoidant person pull away more. And after a while, the anxious person says, okay, fine, I give up. You're right. You're not reliable. I can't depend on you. I'm out of here. And then the avoidant person says, oh, wait a minute, you've pulled away. Okay, now I can come forward. <laughs> so it's, it becomes this, we all know it. We've done this so many times, right? Oh, so exhausting. It is. It is. Exhausting scenario. And I also want to say that like now, um, lots of people are somewhat aware of this. uh, And also lots of people feel really like, especially in the beginning, like you meet someone new and you kind of really want to create a really good impression and you really don't want to overwhelm them with your neediness, for example, if they're this anxious thing. And then like these people, they kind of play really cool. They're like, okay. It's okay. I kind of really don't have enough time with you, but I'm going to just hold myself together. I'm going to entertain myself with other things and I'm going to be okay. But then (laughs) as the relationship deepens, then those patterns, they will start showing up. And then it's like it actually doesn't help to hide in the beginning because actually it's best to just be yourself and with all those patterns and, and things and then rather than like invest so much of yourself into it and then discover that it just cannot work. Yes. But I will say, if you recognize that you have one of those patterns of the anxious, the avoidant, or the disorganized, that's where doing trauma healing work helps. Mm -hmm. Because the anxious, oftentimes for someone, if we're anxiously attached, even if the person is there, we don't really feel it. It's almost like a no-win situation. That person can still can actually be committed to the relationship. They can be showing up in so many ways. But for the anxious, anxiously attached adult, there's kind of like a, an alarm system that's always running inside saying this person is going to leave. This person, it's not going to work. This person is going to leave. It's, it's, and that can sabotage the relationship. So that's another one of those trauma signals. If you recognize that, oh, I tend to oftentimes... Uh, push people away things get too close and I feel like they're going to leave me and and then I pull away or I push away that's another one of those things to get really curious about and do some work around because what we ideally want to be able to do is become very familiar with our attachment styles recognize the signs of some of those wounds and what we bring into relationships and do the work then to heal that wounding Mm -hmm. to heal that that young child inside that is feeling anxious that somebody's going to leave them. Or there's actually quite a bit of anxiety inside the avoidant pattern as well, but they've learned to suppress it. They've learned to dampen down their feelings. So how can I, as an avoidant, how can I trust that it's safe to come out with my feelings? You know, how can I, how can I learn to express my needs? How can I learn to be safe, to be vulnerable, that this person is actually going to be able to meet me with that? You know, that's a huge risk. Mm. And so that's where the healing work comes. Both, all of us have patterns to heal in our relationships. And it's about trust. It's about learning to be vulnerable. It's about learning to be able to connect in an intimate, safe way that is respectful of both partners' needs. But we also need to be aware of what is it that I'm bringing here and and when might I be putting too many of my own needs on my partner or withholding my needs from my partner. Because through our sharing our needs is how we create a lot of intimacy and vulnerability. 
we don't share ourselves, that too creates these barriers in the relationship. And they don't last. They become emotionally dead. Mm -hmm. Oh, so good. This is such important information. I feel like it just can become such a game changer for people when they first discover that. Uh, yeah. Just to understand yourself, your patterns, understand it's not your fault. Because I feel also sometimes people feel so bad about themselves. Like, wow, why cannot I show my emotions? Or wow, why am I so scared that it's going to leave any moment? But it's like, it's not your yeah. fault. It's just how we were built, how we grow up. And then it's just um, so beautiful that those relationships actually, they usually are catalysts for that, for us to see that. To mm -hmm. like, I feel sometimes it's like something in us just wants to really like come to that place of suffering to be shaken so much from inside and go like okay what's going on let's look at this and then through that catalyst we actually start to get curious okay this pattern is repeating itself and there's only one common denominator <laughs> <Like>. <laughs> yeah exactly i love what you said also um about not being our fault because here's the thing our attachment patterns largely get put in place in the first three years of our life we often don't even have actual memory of that time. It all gets put in place in what's called implicit memory. It all gets put in place in our body. It's our body memory. It's our sense of self. We form what's called these working models of relationships. It's not even in the level of conscious awareness. That's when we know it's a pattern. It's just the way we feel ourselves doing life and being in relationships. So if there's something that you recognize, oh, consciously, I so want to change this and I keep doing it despite wanting to change it, that's a sign that it's an implicit pattern, that it's happened, at such, it got installed at such a young age. So it's really, I love what you said there, Sophia. It's so important for people to realize it is not their fault. They adapted to an environment in the best way they could. It was highly, highly intelligent, mm. highly intelligent as children to adapt and shape to their environment the way that they did. Totally. It's so important. Thank you for bringing that up. Because also then it becomes this coping mechanism, right, that we actually use to protect ourselves. And it was actually necessary at that tender age. But then when we grow up, now we have the choice Absolutely. That's where the choice is. The choice is now, I think you just said that the hard work of healing it. Do, do I want, because we have to, to heal it. We have to go back in and we have to feel some of those things that were too much for us to feel as children. But here's the difference. When we were children, when we were three, four, five, six years old, it was too much. It was overwhelming for that little body with that little nervous system that was completely reliant, that that was their world and there was nothing else. Of course, it was too overwhelming. But now as adults, we have different relationships, different resources. We have different capacities and strengths and knowledge and, and life experience that it, we have to go in and feel some of that but it won't be too much or too overwhelming the way it was then. And that's the fear. If it's done the right way, if it's done in the right way, that's the key to trauma healing. It has to be done bit by bit. As, as we say in somatic experiencing work through titration, we, do, we work with small pieces of activation at a time so that we can actually go in, feel a bit, 
metabolize it, digest it, let it work through our system in a not overwhelming way. The goal is not to get overwhelmed again. That's not going to help anybody. This is so huge. I'm so glad you're speaking to that because that was such a revelation for me actually in working with you because you were really, when you were bringing me into those experiences, you were really slowing me down and like really making me like just... Because sometimes it's like I notice we, we have a tendency to just kind of rush through things like, oh, okay, well, I feel like this. Okay, what's next? Okay, that's what's next on my mind. But then in this uh, really um, smart and wise way of uh, accessing those really tender places, it's just so essential to just go really slow and go like, okay, let's slow down. Let's take a breath. And Wow, that makes such a huge difference. I also experienced the other way around in my transformational training where I was a part of uh, this really intensive transformational work and I was in a retreat for nine months and then, then our whole kind of part of the philosophy of the school was to just really go through whatever is there and just break through the ego and not believe in the personal identity and just let it crash, let, let that ego die. And then when I hit a really big traumatic piece inside of me where I felt just so not belonging, felt so alone, so miserable, just like so bad about myself, I, I kept being invited into just do it anyway and just push through it and just go into it. And that just resulted in such a big heartbreak and I had to really collapse and um, actually eventually just try to keep myself, try to still cope and become really, really quiet and invisible. But then eventually my coping mechanism just could not hold me anymore. And then I had to just leave, leave and leave all my stuff there and just quit the school, run away and just hold myself and, and find myself in a place where I finally felt safe, which was far, far, far away from the place where I was doing the retreat. And I could just hold myself and just come to just that sense of safety that it's okay I can I don't need to rush into resolving those things especially when I didn't feel held and it was such such tender places inside of me wow yeah what you're speaking there is so important the container the container you know I facilitate a, a one-week process called path of love and it's a big it's a big intense week but the container for that work is held in such a way that we make sure that people don't get overwhelmed. It's also one week, not nine months like you went through. Uh, but the container in the work is so key. Is somebody in a container where they feel safe, where they feel held, deeply respected and seen and listened to? Is there safe, supportive touch? You know, touch is the first language that we learn we can as babies if you think about it when, when babies newborns in the world they don't understand our words but they can feel the touch on their skin i'm i am positive that babies can recognize a soft kind caring loving touch versus like a cold touch or a touch that's not really present or conscious to them so all these different really important pieces need to be in place so our nervous system can recognize, oh, I am safe here because we can't go in and start to try to digest these earlier life pieces if we don't feel safe. Safety is the foundational ground for all the work. And the safety is not a mental safety. It's not a looking around and being like, oh, okay, yeah, these people probably aren't going to help or hurt me. Safety is as an embodied experience. 
And that is key. That is first and foremost in any trauma healing work. There has to be that sense of a safely held container and ground for the work to be done. Mm -hmm. So important, so big. And I would like to come back to to relationships. So how can in a relationship we can create that healing? Because there's one piece like working with a therapist and really doing your own inner work. But then also in a relationship, we can create that safety uh, and that safety will support our evolution into that kind of relationship that we want to have, that secure, beautiful relationship that is aimed to deepening the intimacy and evolution. So what would you suggest for couples? Well, I think I, I bet a lot of the work that you do is around creating that intimacy and safety for couples. Tantra work, key. When couples are able to meet in that heart-to-heart space, uh, when they're able to slow down and be with each other, when we have the feeling in whatever way we're using, whether it's, you know, an NV, nonviolent communication, they have the model of sitting down and doing sharings with each other where each person speaks with eye language and owns their feelings and expresses the impact that something had on them without blaming the other. That's a way of, of creating vulnerability and intimacy. But like I said, I'm sure the work that you do about bringing people together and that really that that heart space where they can be vulnerable and look into each other's eyes and really feel witnessed and really feel their partners holding for them. That is such an important piece. Both part, I think relationships are the greatest pathway to healing if it's the right relationship if you have two people who want that and are committed to doing the work of both looking at themselves deeply looking within and um being willing to risk to be vulnerable is a risk it's a big risk we're so scared of being you know rejected left shamed criticized made wrong Having a fight with our partner, having there be some sort of sense that something's not right or something's wrong. And then I got to try and fix everything. You know, a lot of times for us women, the fixer then comes in and tries to make it all right and smooth it all over again. So when you have two people who are willing to do that work together, oh my gosh, that's gold. That is just a precious, precious gift. And I think that's one of the great teachings of the path of Tantra is that relationships can be this pathway, this path to deep healing. Mm. But you have to do our work. Mm. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, we create such powerful containers where we can just slow down and and just even like connect with the breath, connect with yourself first, then meet the partner without even talking and then starting this conversation which is this kind of safe conversation where one person is listening and just holding space and the other one is just expressing without blaming without shaming the other but just expressing this internal experience this is so huge and also i feel like there is a piece that can be incorporated just like in a just day-to-day settings because of course in a relationship that's where like it's a huge opportunity for healing but it's also a huge opportunity for trigger for the trauma trigger (laughs) And then, um, and that's been also quite huge for me in my relationship where I start to recognize where I freeze Mm -hmm. and then recognize that because it's also not easy sometimes, yeah, to really kind of 
separate those things out to actually see that, wow, I feel like a bit strange and just want to take space and go away and not be with my partner. But actually, wait a second, if I slow down, I see that I'm frozen on the inside. And actually, what is deeper than that, if I take a breath, I can recognize that I am scared. Mm -hmm. And then when I started to be able to even communicate it to my partner and say, oh, wow, actually, I'm scared right now, even though it may seem completely insignificant what he is doing. But he also, like, he knows that this is going on for me and he can respect that that's my truth. And then together we can slow down and that Mm -hmm. just creates instant healing with it's not instant because there's a lot of background work behind it but yeah. to communicate what is happening to us what we are experiencing and then to be able to receive it when our partner picks that i feel that that's huge yeah especially the parties where your partner um you're able to slow down there's, there's so many few really important pieces there one you have developed the capacity to recognize i'm going into freeze a lot of times it just happens and we don't realize it And then you're able to get curious about your experience. That right there will shift us out in a way of free that sets up a relationship. It changes. We're not just frozen at that point. There's a part of us that's here that's also able to be curious and start to go, what's happening? That very process then of coming out of freeze with the curiosity, getting curious about our feelings, being recognized, oh, I'm scared. Right there, you've probably moved out of freeze right with that. The curiosity supported you, connecting to your feelings, connecting to your body. You start to get more awareness. Oh, I'm feeling scared. Something's going on here. It's something to do with my partner. Let me communicate with him. Now, at that point, you're out of freeze. You're actually gone from freeze to a connection to your body and your feelings. And now you're going to your partner, not out of fear, but looking for connection. That's ventral vagal. That's that's looking, going to our partner, going to the person who we should be able to, to go to for safety and expressing to them your feelings. I'm feeling this. I'm feeling X, Y, and Z right now. And then beautifully, your partner is able to hear you and not get defensive or reactive against it, but listen and hold a space there. That's incredibly healing. And that's a practice that both partners need to have. I'm sure if he came to you, you would meet him in the same way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's not just about the man holding space for a woman or mm-hmm. a woman holding space for a man, but both partners being able to have enough self-awareness and presence, emotional intelligence, love, whatever we want to commit, whatever we want to call it, to be able to, to be with their partner in such a way. And sometimes we do get reactive. And then that requires the being able to come back and apologize, make repair, everything we talked about at the beginning of our talk. Yes, mm-hmm. the importance. Because it's not like we get it right 100% of the time. No, I don't think any relationship does. But when there is that break, when something happens and we don't get it right, or there is this fracture in the relationship, some sort of mistrust comes in. There's some something that happens that breaks the bond that we're then able to come back and also make that repair and be open to repair. Mm, yeah. yeah, that's incredible. Um I remember when I first came to recognize that that was my pattern and that was what's happening with me. And actually that happened in all my relationships, that that piece of freeze, but I could not explain what it was. I just felt really awkward on the inside and my partners felt really awkward that they did something wrong and no one, like we could not really meet on that. 
And now that that's been a huge shift and uh, has contributed to so much security and safety in our relationship, uh, such a gift uh, to be aware of that. Yeah, because that's very vulnerable when you come to him with that. That's you're coming with your vulnerability, mm-hmm. and then he in turn needs to be vulnerable, be willing to be in touch with his vulnerability of hearing what's going on. Mm-hmm. Instead of getting defensive or pushing back or reacting or saying you're overreacting. And I'm not saying there's anything he would say. I'm just saying these are the common responses that it can be met with. So you're very vulnerable in coming forth with your feelings. And then your vulnerability, um, he meets with his own vulnerability. You both hold that vulnerable space where instead of him saying, no, it's not like that, you're wrong or you're asking too much or what's wrong, you know, any version of that, he's able to vulnerably be with whatever feelings he has and takes it in and listens and responds. You create safety. mm -hmm. And that uh, freeze, it also kind of comes together with shame sometimes. Uh, And I also received that question because I I told the people who follow me on Instagram that I'm having this conversation with you and some people ask their questions also. And someone said like, okay, how to deal with shame? And I feel that that freeze is very similar to shame because also it's something really contracts on the inside and something inside like, wow, but how, like, yeah, I'm not supposed to feel like this. Yeah, that's like, or I'm I'm ashamed of feeling like this, but how to deal with that is... Like, I guess exactly what we're speaking right now, that like slow it down, take a breath and see like from connection with yourself, like you were saying, then from there you can connect with another and that will break that pattern. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I teach a lot about shame in my groups, actually. And, and shame is a freeze response. Shame is a freeze response that's actually meant to stop us from doing something that may cause a further fracture in the relationship. So when we feel that freeze, when we feel that shame, and often is like something gets true, is often as adults, something that we took on as being wrong as children is getting triggered. And that puts us into a shame response. And yes, it is very much slowing down, finding a way back to connect with yourself. I love putting a hand on my heart. Right? When I kind of feel that shame activation, that shame response, putting a hand on my heart, just taking a few breaths. And just letting myself know it's okay. Whatever it is, whatever is happening, it's okay. You are loved. Everything is going to work out. This is all going to be okay. And then just listening. What's happening? What what am I anxious about inside? What's something inside of me worried? Is something inside of me afraid? And then just listening to that. Mm, so good and we were just having our hands on the hearts yes you're listening i also invite you to to do that just right now like place your hand on your heart take a breath and just ask yourself those questions what is really going on what is this conversation bringing up for you Uh, and you are okay you are safe you're held you're loved Mm -hmm. yeah and this is all gonna work out I'd like to come back just a step back because I think it's a really interesting question and many couples I know are kind of struggling with that dynamic, that anxious avoidant combo, like the deadly duo. (laughs) 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 Very very explosive combination, which will exactly have a lot of this polarity in the beginning because they're so opposite and they're so drawn to each other and there's likely to be so much sexual chemistry, especially in the beginning. Mm -hmm. So do you feel like there is a way for that kind of combo to come to a secure place? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that's the healing work. Yeah, that's the work of each of them healing their developmental trauma. Because anxious and avoidant both come out of developmental trauma. Those are adaptive patterns that got developed to basically help them survive their, their childhood environment. And so if they both stay in their survival pattern, not so much. It's not going to be a very rewarding relationship. They're constantly, I mean, they can stay together for the rest of their life, but they're going to be constantly triggering each other. And there'll be lots of arguments and lots of heartbreak and periods of breakup, get back together, breakup, get back together. You know, usually this is a survival pattern though. It's not who we are. And so, yes, within that relationship, if they want to undertake the work of healing their developmental trauma, absolutely it's possible to then form a beautifully secure relationship with each other. Yeah. Mm, yeah, healing is possible. Anything we can heal as it's long as possible. there is willingness. Yes, absolutely. Healing is possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't happen overnight, but the rewards of it are so deep and it lasts a lifetime. So yes, always healing is possible. Yeah. So good. Well, I feel like it's a really good point for us to wrap it up. Although I feel like we could be talking for hours and hours and hours. And <laughs> it's so interesting. Uh, thank you so much for sharing all your beautiful wisdom. And I'd love for you to share uh, about your upcoming events because people can actually be held in such a container wherever they are because now... This is happening online, and um, you know, please share with us what what is coming up for you in your world, sure. in your work. Yeah, I, I hold lots of different groups online. Um, I have an upcoming weekend group that's just focusing on releasing stress and trauma from our nervous system through biodynamic breath work and trauma release, and that'll be April tenth and eleventh. And then I also have weekend group called Awakening of Love coming up as well in April. And that's when we start to really connect more to our feelings, our emotions, look at some of our patterns and do important healing work around those patterns. Um, Those are both weekend groups in April. And then for people who want to do more of a deeper dive, I'm teaching a a six-week course on healing developmental trauma. And that's where we'll go through the stages starting from um, in utero to about age five or six looking at what are the important needs at each developmental stage and what happens when those needs are not met. How do we shape ourselves? What kind of personality adaptions did come on? How does our it really actually affect our nervous system, our body? We talk about shame in there. All sorts of all sorts of things are looked at in that six-week group. So people really get to understand some of these unconscious uh, personality structures, these patterns. But for all my groups, uh, my website is sacredinquiry.com. And you can go right there and there's always more and more being added. And um, if people have questions, they can also reach me through my website. I'm happy to answer questions. Yeah, and I want to thank you, Sophia. Thank you for bringing me on. This was such a wonderful conversation to have with you. I mean, yeah, I feel like we could have talked forever, uh, but really sweet. And I and I hope the people listening, this has been helpful for them, that it's beneficial for them, that some light bulbs go off and also that they get, I love how you ended there, that healing is always possible. Yes, our history does not, is not determinant of our future. Change is possible. Healing is possible. We can live lives with more health, with more passion, with more love, with more connection. Mm. Boom. 
Yes. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh I so loved talking to you. Uh, thank you so much. I appreciate so much you being here with us. And for all the listeners, I will also drop all those links to Prema's events um, in the resources on my website and um, the page connected specifically to the podcast. So it's sofiasundari.com slash podcast. There you can find all the show notes. And thank you so much for being with us today. If you love the podcast, welcome to subscribe and even leave a review thank you so much bye now <laughs>